1: Amen. Amen, Good morning, church. You can be seated. Thank you all for being with us. Uh, team, thank you for leading us. I'm going to take a, a page out of Pastor David Youth's playbook, if you know David. It is NFL opening weekend, or so I'm told. And so, on the count of three, would you shout out, if you've got a team that you're pulling for from Thursday through Monday, or however that works, would you shout that team's name on the count of three? You ready? One, two, three, four. I didn't get any of that. So here's what we're going to do. This is where Pastor David's playbook comes in. If you would, on the count of three, do something else. If you would shout out the name of the one who saved you, the name of the one you're worshiping in the one you're here to serve, would you shout his name on three? You ready? One, two, three. Jesus! That was good. I got that. Okay. Just like Socrates said, man, we got a lot of backgrounds. We've even got, you know, Eagles and Cowboys fans in the room this morning. But we are unified around this one thing. The person and work of Jesus. And if you came this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that's okay too. But we unapologetically lift him up because scripture says when Christ is lifted up, he draws all people to himself. And in Christ, there is salvation, there is life, and there is hope. And so we worship him. We celebrate grace here at Horizon West Church. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be taking what we're calling a journey of grace. We're going to put a, a pin starting next week, a pin in the letter of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to open the letter of 2 Corinthians and walk through Paul's teaching, the Apostle Paul's teaching, on what it looks like to people to be people that freely receive and freely extend the grace of God. And so in that journey, here's some of the things that you can expect on a Sunday morning over the next four weeks, starting next week. Uh, you can expect on some of those Sundays to be get, getting some Horizon West Church swag, Stuff we all get. There's going to be some new things we're rolling out, and so you're not going to want to miss that opportunity. Uh, we're also going to be introducing some new updates to the property that we have on Schofield Road and some things I think we're going to be able to celebrate together. You heard from Marcy, our five-year birthday is in that four weeks, and so that's going to be an 11 o'clock service of celebration. We're going to tell some of the story of what God has done and look forward to the things that He is doing. And that journey of grace, those four weeks, will culminate on October 8th in a celebration offering where you're going to have the opportunity to even now begin praying as a family, as an individual, or with your spouse, what would it look like for us as a a family unit or as an individual to to celebrate what God has done in our lives, the grace of God to us through an act of generosity. So you're going to hear more about that as well. Today what we're going to do is we're going to finish the uh, final installment, if you will, in what we've been calling What Really Matters. And this is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, feel free to go there if you've got a Bible or a Bible app. You can just punch in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want to let you know right off the top uh, that there are going to be some challenging things in the message today. And I say that for two reasons. Number one, it's going to be challenging because we're going to look at some principles and some concepts that are not super popular with the, the mood of our culture today. Okay? And that's often true in Scripture. We don't need to apologize for that. But I do want to handle that sensitively, okay? So there's some things you're going to hear, and I'm going to ask that you just not throw tomatoes at me, you not, you you know, storm out on me, just hang with me. It's going to go somewhere good, but it is going to be challenging. Secondly, it's going to be challenging because there are words and phrases in the English translation that we're going to look at today that are somewhat choppy or clumsy renderings from the original language of Greek, And there's more than the average amount in this particular passage. I actually think it's one of the most difficult passages in all of the Bible. Um, So I've had a fun week, and I've prayed a lot. Um, And with that, I actually want to um, go ahead and acknowledge that Scripture does not shy away from the fact that there are some things within it that are quite honestly hard to understand. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter were kind of the two, two of the great pillars of the early church two of the most influential individuals then and even now on what Christianity looks like in the world today. And there's this interesting place in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, where Peter says this, there are some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. And so my prayer this week has been that we not be ignorant and unstable as we look at what Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 11. And as I have prayed that, I've decided that I want to open the message this morning by collectively going together before God and asking that he give us the wisdom, the discernment, and the humility to receive what he's put in the word today. So would you pray with me as we begin the message? God, you know uh, the, the wrestling match that has gone on this week. You know that some in the room... Lord, there's going to be some challenging concepts, there's going to be some difficult things to hear and process. God, I pray that you would give us uh, insight, give us wisdom. God, I pray that anything that comes from my mouth that does not jive with what your scripture is teaching, that it would just kind of like dust in the wind, just be blown away. But God, anything that is from you, God, I believe that that, uh, what you have for us, that it is from you, would it take root in our heart and would it change the way that we live? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's dive in. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, here we go. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered And that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all of this is from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. And all God's people said. (laughs) What in the world? That's what we said. What? What? Full transparency, I saw this passage coming early in the the teaching of 1 Corinthians. And I went, man, is there a way we can just dodge this one? This This is tough. Right? like, What in the world does it mean? What, what does it mean to us? Uh, what is God really trying to say to us in this? Now, before I get to some of that, let me tell you that on the surface, this is a passage about marriage between believers. That, that's the plain and simple reading of what Paul is doing. And it, and it is consistent with what Paul has been doing throughout the letter of 1 Corinthians. He's been taking real-life examples of what these new believers in Jesus are living and saying, this is how the gospel changes this. And so when it, when it comes to uh, schisms and divisions in the church, Paul's going, no, 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 here's how the gospel makes us one. When it comes to what we do with our bodies, Paul's saying, no, no, here's why we, we don't do this, and we do this instead, it's because of the gospel. Even matters of eating and drinking, Paul's filtering through the lens of the gospel and saying, whatever you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. So what Paul does here in these first 16 verses of chapter 11 is now introduces the concept of marriage and says this is how the gospel influences and impacts a biblical marriage. But there is something more broad even than the application to marriage, and it is this. I believe this passage is about how all of us can demonstrate the beauty of the gospel by living out God's unique calling for our lives. That's what God is trying to show us in the passage, but there are difficulties. Let me address just three. And there, I, I, I found about seven. I'll, I'll share three with you. One: What does Paul mean by traditions in verse two? It'd be easy to just kind of gloss right through that, but we need to understand what he's commending them for. What, what are the traditions that he's thankful that they're observing? Here's another one: H- How is Paul using the term head? This is probably the most important of all the things we've got to grapple with because Paul uses it in Greek nine times. And it is supplied an additional five times in English. So 14 times in the verses we read, Paul uses the term head. We need to understand why he does and how he's using it. And let me give you just one more. We need to answer the question, what in this passage is universal and timeless? And what is specific and cultural? Now let me say this, because before I get into the weeds of 1 Corinthians 11, and we will, I want to zoom out and I want to talk about the importance of how we study the Bible. And I said we, because it's not my job to study the Bible and then deposit it into you. It is all of our collective jobs to study, to show ourselves approved. In other words, to do the work of rightly understanding, integrating, and applying God's words in our lives. It's not not a Sunday to Sunday thing. It's your job and mine in our whole lives. So we got to grapple with those things when we come to Scripture. And what I might say to you is this, when you open your Bible, don't forget to open your mind. What I mean is, don't just, just read, 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 get to the end of the chapter, okay, check it off, I did my devotions, move on. There's a reason God gave us His Word. He has something in it for us. And one of the greatest demonstrations of faith that you can do when it comes to the Word of God is ask questions. Ask questions. What in the world Is this? What does he mean by this? We know that it means something. Paul says to Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That's the goal of the Bible. And as strange in some ways as this particular passage is, it falls into the category of the all Scripture that is given by God, and is useful for us. Now let me go a little deeper into this. I'm going to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit, and reveal something to you that I think is important as it applies to our study of scripture. The verse, um, guys, if you throw that back up on the screen for a minute, the verse that I shared with you, all scriptures God breathed and is useful, go to the next slide. I, I, I translated this, that the person of God may be complete. But the Bible that I'm reading from, the ESV, does not use the word person. It uses the word man. So interestingly, I said, you know what? I'm going to use the word person. Why did I do that? Was that because of some cultural pressure? I I feel the need to, like, you know, just make it general. Just it's for, you know. No, I I looked into it. I went, man, is, is Paul talking about men here? Seems like this is true for everyone. But I don't have the liberty to just rewrite scripture. So here's what I did. I looked for what the Greek word is, and can I tell you what the Greek word is in the verse? Anthropos. If you're familiar with anthropology, it's the study of people or humanity. Paul isn't saying Scripture is given so men can benefit. He's saying it's so people can benefit. So that's how I translated it. Now, here's how I did it. I, and I'm going to be even further transparent. I think it's important. I barely passed my Greek classes in seminary. No lie. No lie. By far, the worst grades that I got in all of seminary. I don't know Greek. I know maybe a little more than you do, and I should, because I spent two years studying it, but I barely passed. Um, in fact, I didn't graduate with honors. I graduated not a cum laude. That was my, <laughs> that was my, uh, my honors that I had. And I also just violated, I, I had put myself on joke probation after last week, and I just violated that, so I apologize. But, but I, I don't have anything that you don't have. You, do you want to know what I did to find the Greek word? I looked up in my computer something called blueletterbible.com, okay? And if you have a technology device, you also can look up or get the app, blueletterbible.com. And here's why I share that with you. When you come to questions in Scripture like I have with this passage, you don't need a degree from seminary. You don't need to know Greek or Hebrew. You can use tools that exist and go, I wonder what that word means, and it'll tell you. And not only will it tell you what it means, it will show you all the places that that Greek word appears in Scripture so you can get a better understanding. This isn't about having something that someone else doesn't have. It's about putting on our brains and doing the work it takes to understand the Word of God. Okay. And my goal is not just to teach a passage, which we're about to do. My greater goal is that each of us are equipped with Scripture in such a way that it transforms our lives. So now let me address a few of these difficulties in in the passage. What does Paul mean with the word traditions? Blue Letter Bible told me that word is paradosis. And so what in the world does that mean? Well, it could mean a couple things. One is it could mean the Mosaic Law. Hey, I, I commend you, Corinthians, because you observe the traditions of the law. But the problem with that is Paul knows the word for law, nomos. He uses it a lot and he does not use it here. He's not commending them for keeping the the Mosaic law. So what is he saying? Well, paradosis, when the word paradosis appears in the New Testament and it's rendered traditions, it's most often referring to the rabbinical or Jewish traditions. That would make sense because Paul was a Pharisee, remember? And so he had taught these Jewish traditions, but there's one massive problem with making it mean that, and it's this. When Paul encountered Jesus... He left his Pharisaicalism way behind him. And you'll notice in the verse that he says, which I have passed on to you. He does the same thing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. I command you to keep the traditions as we have given them to you. So what are the traditions? And here's my best guess. Already by this point in the New Testament, Paul and Peter and John and these guys have done the hard work of establishing new traditions. They're not ancient, they're not hundreds of years old, they may not even be 20 years old, but Paul is saying, hey, you grew up on certain traditions, but we've established new traditions, much like Jesus said, a new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so that, that I believe, is what he's referring to when it comes to traditions. Now you'll notice that Paul gives a rare word of commendation, he's he's commending them for this, that's pretty rare uh, in the letter of Corinthians. But let's move on to the next difficulty. When Paul uses the term head, which he does nine times, 14 in English, that word is kephale. Okay, that's the Greek word. And it's used in one of two ways, almost in equal parts. One, it means physical head. You could have gotten that without me sharing that. that head means head. That's what it's saying. But it is also used metaphorically to mean the source or the first or the authority. And, and it goes back and forth, it can use it both ways, and it's usually pretty obvious how he's using it. In this case, it's obvious that when Paul says that God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of the man, the husband's the head of the wife, he's referring to the metaphorical idea that the man is the source or the first of the woman. Now this creates some questions of its own, but I believe that's what Paul is saying when it comes to head. Which then leads us to yet another question. Why does Paul call the husband the head of his wife? Well, one clear uh, example or one reason that that might be is that in Genesis chapter 2, we see that God created the man from dirt and then do you remember how he created the woman? From the rib of the man. So, so Paul could be saying the man is first because chronologically he was created first. That would make sense. Verse 8, he says, Man was not made from woman, but woman from man. But there's a second truth here that we see not only in 1 Corinthians 11, we also see it in 1 Peter chapter 3, also in Ephesians chapter 5, and we don't have time to to fully explore those passages, but if you're taking notes, jot it down, you're going to see this same idea that the man is responsible and accountable in marriage to lovingly lead his wife and his family. Now, somebody's going to bristle at that, but I would be dishonest and disingenuous if I didn't tell you that that is clear from Scripture, Old and especially New Testament. Now, m- let me make a, a massively important clarification. <laughs> when Scripture says that the husband is the head of the wife, it means what it says. It is not saying the man is the head of the woman. Y- you with me? Scripture doesn't teach that women are to submit to men. It teaches that wives should submit to their husbands. This is super important because some people have taken Scripture and used it to try to disqualify women from leading and serving and advancing and being empowered, and that's not what Scripture teaches. In God's wisdom, which goes way beyond any of ours, for whatever reason that he himself has, he chose that in the marriage relationship, the husband should lovingly lead his wife. This is how Paul uh, ends Ephesians chapter 5 in the last two verses. He says, Therefore a man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now this mystery is profound, but I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is a, a critical centerpiece to Paul's teaching here and elsewhere. The way that we relate to one another, and especially the way that we relate to one another in marriage is to point to a greater reality than the marriage itself. God wants our marriages to be a reflection of and a demonstration of something bigger than just our marriage, which means as great as intimacy and companionship and date nights and travel and all those beautiful gifts of marriage are, it is also always something much greater even than that. Christian marriage is a reflection of the triune nature of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in marriage, we get to depict what it looks like for God himself to exist as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I want to I pull out two things that are really abundantly clear from the nature of who God is. Within the triune nature of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is absolute equality and voluntary submission. Absolute equality and voluntary submission. Christ is not lesser than God. In fact, he's the exact representation of God and the very nature of his being, and yet Christ submits to God, and God magnifies Christ. It's, it's mutual, but there is voluntary submission. Absolute equality, voluntary submission. Here's the principle that I believe Paul is driving at. Paul is maintaining God's vision for men and women, and especially, specifically, for husbands and wives. So let me talk for a minute about principles and practices. If you were to apply what I would call a practical approach to Scripture, and I don't by that mean thinking the Bible is practical, which it completely is. What I mean by a practical approach to Scripture is whatever the Bible says to do, I immediately go and do it. Well, you would find yourself doing some very odd things as you read through the book of Leviticus. You know why? (laughs) Because it wasn't written to you. It was written for you, in part, but it was not written to you. And so we don't take a practical approach, meaning we don't just open our Bibles and go, well, it says this, do that, because we understand that Scripture was given by God through the apostles and prophets in a specific context and culture. So, so the principles are timeless, the practices can change from place to place and from time to time. And I believe 1 Corinthians 11 is an example where Paul is kind of going back and forth between principles that don't change and practices that are specific to the Corinthian people. And if we don't open our minds when we open our Bibles, we're going to get bogged down and do one of two things. Either we blindly apply every practice in legalistic, rigid, and sometimes bizarre ways, or we throw the baby out with the bathwater and go, this doesn't make any sense, this has nothing to say to me. Principles are timeless, Practices are timely and cultural. So for the Corinthian church, the practice that Paul is going to teach them involves hair length and head coverings. This does not make sense for us. Some of the things Paul says, doesn't nature show you that it's a disgrace for men to ha- have long hair? I would say, no, nature doesn't show me that. Like that, that's, that's not the way that our culture thinks. Long hair is actually kind of in style right now. I can't rock long hair, but if you do, good for you. But in their context, it demonstrated something. And what it demonstrated was a violation of this principle that God created men to be men and women to be women. You see see the principle there? So what it could look like in our practice, in our day and age, as crazy as it is, we might say, men, don't put on makeup and wear dresses. Right? Right? It's a different practice. Corinthians weren't doing that. They didn't need to hear that. But they needed to hear that to be a man of God, to to live out the the masculine calling of God in your life, you, you can't look like this. You can't dress like that and be the man of God he's called you to be. And so this is a principle filtered into a practice that is for the Corinthians. We're gonna keep the principle and we're gonna let the practice live where it was intended to live. Now, it's almost as if Paul, who's also brilliant, at this point in his writing, he's anticipating something. And what he's anticipating is, I think I'm being misunderstood. (laughs) He's been been hammering this thing of of the headship and the head and, and man was made from woman and not the other way, or woman was made from man, not the other way around. He's been hammering that. and It's almost like Paul understands a superpower that men have called selective listening women who are married, I don't know if your husband has this superpower. My wife would tell you that her husband does. Selective listening is the ability to receive everything that you want to hear and filter out everything you don't. And I wonder if Paul's going, man, I'm, I'm imagining as I'm writing this, the men are like, yeah, hit him, Paul. And he's like, hold on, time out. Time out. Nevertheless, verse 8, nevertheless, or sorry, no, 11. In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For just as a woman was made from a man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Paul here is now going to shift and emphasize more this idea of the absolute equality of the sexes, of men and of women. In Genesis chapter 2, I mentioned it earlier, the man was put to sleep, and God took from the man and created a woman from the rib. And men roll their shoulders back and go, see, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. (laughs) And Paul goes, right, and men, all of you were born from a woman that you called mother. So you wouldn't be here without her. And I love the infinite genius and providence of God that he gives us a biological and scientific formula for exactly what he desires, which is interdependence between men and women. See, Genesis 1 is very, very clear that God created them in his image, both male and female, made in the image of God. There is no inequality. There is only a distinction in the the unique ways that God has called us to live out his image in our lives, and especially for us to do that in our marriage. So the answer to why did God create marriage goes beyond even just that it's to be a symbol of, you know, of the gospel or, or that it's to be the way that Jesus demonstrated his love for the church that husbands are for wives it is all of that and it is more our marriages are to be a reflection of the nature of God himself Timothy Keller a great pastor and theologian who died recently uh, in the past year Timothy Keller said this in Christianity God is not an impersonal thing nor a static thing not even just one person but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. So I asked myself the question, how in the world is God like a dance? And, and how in the world is my marriage supposed to reflect this dance? might not surprise you that I know next to nothing about dance, and so I googled it. <laughs> and here's what I googled. When two people are dancing who leads? You know the answer, right? I'll get to that in a second. Uh, I don't know if Dancing with the Stars is still on television. If it is, no one is watching it. But if it's not, it had, <laughs> it had a great run. And there is not much in life that is more mesmerizing than watching a man and a woman who are gifted dancers just like gliding across the floor and going, wow, that's, that's beautiful. Let me tell you what, I, what happened when I, when I googled this question. I found a, a quote, and I didn't look for it. This was the first quote came up. It said, it is traditional in dance for the guy to lead a slow dance. If this is just way too traditional for your taste, then the female can change it up and lead. But here's the important thing, you ready? But someone has to lead. Someone has to lead. And for whatever reason that God himself knows and that God gave us, he says, in a marriage, husbands, lead your wives. Lovingly, graciously, With humility, but don't abdicate your role to lead your wife and to lead your home. And this this lead follow dynamic that happens in dance, it is almost so subtle as to be imperceptible to those watching. You go, man, they're they're moving in like perfect unison. It's beautifully choreographed and even more beautifully executed. And it's just incredible how these two people are just absolutely in, in sync together. And you go, yeah, but. What's really happening is someone with the movement of a hand and the look of an eye and the shifting of a leg, someone's leading and someone's following. And as that audience stands to their feet and applauds this most beautiful expression of creativity and and skill, no one's going, but why was he leading? (laughs) They're just going, man, that dance was beautiful. And in our marriages, husbands, as we lovingly tenderly, graciously lead our wives. One of the things that should happen is like a dancer will do, we step back and we go, look at her. Isn't she awesome? And in doing that, men, we're fulfilling our job as husbands to lovingly lead wives it's not about keeping them under our boot it's not about winning the argument to lead means we're the first to apologize it means we're the first to do the hard work maybe we're the first to get out of bed and go look for what went bump in the night like we lead but we do it we do it in the spirit and practice of christ who gave everything that he had gave his very own life to save his bride the church And as our marriages do that, as we seek to do that, what happens is people can look and go, wow, that was beautiful. I didn't know marriage could work like that. And we get to say, here's why it works. Because the gospel infiltrated this. The gospel took this over. This is a reflection of who God is. So husbands and wives, let's seek to do that. But let me go beyond that as we prepare to close this part of the service. Because I told you that this is more than just about husbands and wives. I believe this passage is about God's vision for every Christian using every gift that they've been giving, making the most of every opportunity to reach every person who exists with the good news of Jesus. The dance God's called you to be in may not be the dance of a marriage. It may be the dance of being a single man or woman and living your life for the good news of Jesus. It may be that you're a young person or a young adult or an older person or whatever. Maybe you've lost a spouse. You don't have to be married to do this. Remember, at the end of chapter 10, Paul said these words, all to the glory of God. So if you're a student athlete, you use your talents and abilities to glorify God and point your teammates to Jesus. If you're raising children... You raise them with the gospel at the center so that they can learn something about the parent love of God that they won't ever be able to shake no matter where they go. If you're a business leader, you use your influence, your position and your resources to let everyone in your sphere of influence know that what you value most is not your bank account or your productivity. Your treasure is Jesus. That's what the gospel means. That's what it looks like to live to the glory of God. And that is what one of my friends, whose name is Tiffany, is here to talk to us about. Would you help me welcome Tiffany to the stage? We're gonna do something a little different. Come on up, Tiffany. By the way, I love introducing people with no context because you're cheering for someone that could be like a terrible person. She's not, she's not. (laughs) But you're like, yeah, Tiffany. And I could just tell you anything, it'd be great. Um, Tiffany and I have uh, known each other for a little more than 10 years. Um, Here's what you really need to know about Tiffany, though. Tiffany is one of our missionaries to Madagascar uh, as part of the first Orlando campuses, including Horizon West. Um, I learned today, Tiffany, that you've known Socrates a lot longer than you've known me. Oh, yeah. What age, do you think?
0: Uh, Since maybe four or five years old.
1: Four or five years old. That is crazy. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, And Tiffany, you and I go back a little more than 10 years. Your brother, Josh, obviously, was in our college ministry. I got to know your parents both really well. Um, And so... Tiffany is serving the Antimoron people in Madagascar. Um, How is your Malagasy, by the way? I didn't ask you that. That's okay. (laughs) It's coming along. Okay. How's your Malagasy? That's what I thought. Um, So, Tiffany, I want to start in this way. Um, I remember the service where, you know, we were at First Baptist Orlando, and Pastor David introduced this idea that we were going to go after a kind of unreached people group. And we didn't know which people group that would be, but we identified that as Madagascar. Long before that happened, you had had an experience with God, talk to us some about kind of how you came to faith and how you started to have a heart for the for the world.
0: Um, so I first became a believer when I was seven. At first, Orlando was baptized. Um, and then it wasn't until college that I had some interactions with some international students. Um, and God really started to show me that he wanted me to go overseas. Actually, m- one of my first trips was to East Asia and Socrates is actually on that oh, wow. trip. wow! <laughs> That's cool. So we've had a lot of life together, but yeah
1: <laughs> wow just small team yeah
0: wow. there's a lot of people on that trip that's incredible. um but god really started to develop in me wow. a love for the nations and to that. go out
1: so there i mean it was a journey you didn't just come to faith and go okay i crossed that off the list and i think that's one of those really important things i've shared with you guys there are significant moments in your faith walk that go beyond just the moment you were saved and and you had that heart of going god what's next what what would you show me so fast forward, I think it's 2016-ish mm-hmm. or maybe a little before that, we're, we're in this worship center, you know, mega church, First Orlando, and we heard this thing about Madagascar. Did that immediately resonate or where were you in your journey at that point?
0: Um, I remember praying for the people group as a whole, but um, I was pretty laser focused on going to East Asia and I actually didn't want to go to Africa at all. Um, but a friend said, Tiffany allow um, the Lord to speak to you and pray about it and be open to what he has for you and now I'm here.
1: <laughs> and you went, was it 2016? 2014. Or? was the trip With the six, yeah. Oh, it was six. I said eight. So um, Tiffany went on a trip to Madagascar before going mm-hmm. long term and some of my close friends were on that trip with you. I think the other five are serving the Lord in various places yeah. but God called you back. Mm-hmm. Tell us what year you went to Madagascar full time and then Tiffany, you know, You guys, I would not believe it if I didn't have verifiable proof of it, but tell us what God has been doing in Madagascar.
0: Um, So I went um, back full-time in 2017, um, and since then I've planted six churches. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen about 1,500 to 2,000 people be baptized. Um, And then we have... We have a great partnership with the Jesus film. So we um, show that movie often and have seen countless people come to faith because of that movie. So God's been working. It's incredible.
1: And I said it earlier, but I want to say it again. We're talking about an unreached or underreached people group. This was not, hey, there's, you know, churches in every corner. Let's put another one. This was some of these people had never heard the name of Jesus, maybe many. Um, and I love, Tiffany, that you didn't, you know, you were a single woman when you went. Um, Which tells me, hey, you can be single or married and live for the glory of God. You can be a man or woman, live for the glory of God. And you're a living example of somebody who's empowered by the Holy Spirit, who's put their yes on the table and all that God has done uh, because of that. That's awesome. Um, What would you say, we've got younger people in the room, uh, what would you say to that 7-year-old, 10-year-old, 15-year-old Tiffany who's going, man, what's my place? Am I able to serve or lead or plant churches or that? What would you say to them?
0: Um, I'd say don't miss an opportunity to share God's love because we all get laser focused and, you know, tunnel vision on one thing, you know, studying or playing that sport or, you know, achieving that job. But God puts opportunities in our path all the time to share his love with others. So don't miss the opportunity. That's
1: That's awesome. And I love that God didn't reveal the whole thing up front. It was just, God, what's the next opportunity? What's the next? It's East Asia or it's a short-term trip and then it's a long-term and then it's permanent but you were just continuing to walk in that which is a great example for us. Uh, Tiffany, I know more than probably many uh, who who don't know you as well about some of the challenges uh, that you faced over the last many years, um, including experiences here with family that you were not here for or were trying to race back for and all of the complexities, health and all of that. Um, I wanna ask you a question that I know the answer to but I think it's important to reiterate you've moved how many thousands of miles away and you've got no family there except for, do you want to share about your? Yeah.
0: So in 2021, I got married. Yay! <laughs> um, yeah. is there. He's on Temuru, so he is um, the people, from the people group.
1: Uh, Christino yeah. gave his life to Jesus and God led her and Tiffany to, to be married, which is a beautiful thing. Um, and so you got that, but you've also sacrificed a lot. You've also given up a lot. Um, So my question is, and again, I know the answer, but share with us, has it been worth it?
0: Yeah, it's been worth it. You know, um, going over, uh, I had to leave my family, leave the comforts, but, um, you know, I gained a family, even in know, even though he came a few years later, Mm -hmm. I have so much family, I can't even count them, you know, Uh like (laughs) I don't have enough fingers and toes. Um, And so God's just been really faithful, even in the hard things that, I've had to sacrifice. Um, he's just been faithful and continued to lead and
1: guide. I love that, Tiffany. And I think about you know, what we should all be living for, hopefully are living for, is that moment when we stand before Jesus and the thought of, you know, <laughs> was it worth it? You know, Did I give up too much? It's, it's like, man, that answers all the questions, right? Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And there will be thousands of people worshiping at the throne of Jesus. Part of that throng that Socrates talked about, nations, languages, people groups, uh, because you said yes and God is using you. And so church, I hope you don't just go, man, what an incredible woman she is, but I hope you also go, God, what is my next step? God, what are you calling me to that may be a little out of my comfort zone? Uh, Maybe it's right here in Horizon West or West Orange County. Maybe it's a a new movement that God has for you, um, but putting your yes on the table and, and following Christ in that. So What I want to do um, to kind of close our service and then have Marcy come and officially close it, uh, I want to pray for you. And, Christina, I'm going to ask that you would come up uh, at this time as well. And, church, you can stay seated, but if you're comfortable doing so, would you extend a hand toward these guys? Um, And I would just love to pray for your favor and blessing from God in the days ahead. So, church, pray with me. Father, I thank you for uh, this couple. God, I thank you for Tiffany and Christina and their, their faithfulness to you. God, the fact that you, um, by your grace, chose to save them, but not just save them, but God, to to send them into the mission field, into a world that's desperately in need of you. And God, I believe that every man and woman and child in this room and those streaming, God, we've all been given our own unique calling, our own unique gifting and skill set. God, may we use all for the advance of the gospel and may we do it all to the glory of God. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.